irrespective. Expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Dream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your office. Coolest, coolest show you know the hip hop calls. We are excited about this conversation here. Uh, we are having an important conversation about the need to stop petrochemicals, and we've been dealing with three regions. One region was in Louisiana. One region was in Texas. And the other reason is the Ohio River Valley. And so I'm so excited to have with me Kathy Ferguson. Um, and she is a community advocate from the unincorporated district of Institute West Virginia, championing social, environmental, economic, and restorative justice causes. Kathy has, for over 25 years, been doing this work at a very high level. And she has 25 years of experience working in social services within the criminal justice system. Today, she works as, an, as a community activist, demonstrating a clear commitment to helping those who are in most need and giving voice to those who are disenfranchised. An agent for change, Ms. Ferguson is a believer in social justice and equality for all and dedicates both her professional and personal time towards this end. So my sister, Kathy, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for asking. Yeah, it's good to have you. But so I, I read a little bit of your, your bio, but for, you know, I know it's a lot more than just the bio. And if so, I'm asking this question, who is Kathy Ferguson? Oh, my gracious. Listen, uh, to be honest with you, that bio is it pretty much sums it up. Um, I am def definitely an altruistic person who has a passion for the people, um, a child of, you know, a, per a father that was from Appalachia and lived in an independent, thriving Black community, a mother who was from Harlem and was a member of the Black Panthers. And so those two forces converged, and I came out of that fire, that passion, and I'm just sort of, you know, taking off where, taking up where they left off, and really just trying to do, um, you know, good work in the community. So, um, uh, but I'm also a hip-hop head, and, you know, okay. I'm a child of that generation, and that's my jam, and that's my thing, and I'm, you know, I'm on the LL side of things, but <laughs> I'm old school. But at the end of the day, you know, it's all good. You know, we just keep moving forward and loving the culture. No, nah, definitely. And LL is, is he's old school and he's new school. And and, and at, at the same time, and depending, depending if you like the, the rapping or the acting. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So you transition, you flow with those things. And, um, you know, so have I in my life and career. So let's talk a little bit about West Virginia actually. Um, so are, are, is your family from there? Are, are, I mean, have, did you move to West Virginia? Let's talk about that community. Yeah. So my father is originally from West Virginia. Um, he came from a family, uh, the Ferguson family that owned a farm down that way. Um, and, uh, you know, three brothers actually, and they all went to the military and did really great things. But uh, my grandfather was actually the dean and the first registrar at West Virginia State University, mm. which is now West Virginia State University. It used to be West Virginia Colored Institute, and it's at HBCU. And a lot of people forget about um, the school and the town of Institute because it is unincorporated. But because of um, desegregation, that is one of the schools that actually ended up 
um, becoming and is currently like 80%, if not more, um, Caucasian. And so it's sort of flipped, but, you know, we stay um, tethered to our roots and to that experience. And so, you know, I lived in a very, uh, grew up in that thriving community. But again, I was born in New York. That's where my mother was. My father went there and they met and fell in love. And um, just a very progressive set of parents. Um, which was a little interesting because West Virginia has not known to it's not known for being progressive. And certainly in this political climate, we see a lot of things with our senators Manchin and Capito and the movements that they're making. You know, they're really kind of um, uh, showing West Virginia to be a different type of space for people that are progressive and people that are into reform. So it's been a little bit challenging, a lot of bit challenging. Um, but, you know, we're making do and trying to push through the best way that we can. It's an experience, though. Black Appalachia is real. No, it's, there it is. <laughs> Black Appalachia is real. And I also want to say this, and for folks who don't know, um, our liberation and a good bit of our story is tied to West Virginia. Um, if you are someone who understands liberation of Black people, you cannot tell that story without telling the story of John Brown. There is no way you can go forward without giving that story um, about that white that white man and that white man's family who fought and died <laughs> to end slavery. Um, and I believe, actually, a lot of folks after that, you know, that was the, the beginnings of the Civil War and many other things. And so that spirit of John Brown has to run through West Virginia some way. Oh, of course it does. Of course it does. You know, and it also started with the labor movement. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we had black coal miners that were on the front line. It was the first time that blacks and whites actually came together to work for labor rights. And, um, you know, they called them their, their red scarves and they had that big uh, battle there in West Virginia. So that really was the kickoff for labor rights around the country. So it started in West Virginia and just, you know, shout out to West Virginia in terms of our other black leaders. Folks don't realize and don't often remember that George Washington Carver has roots in West Virginia. Booker T. Washington came out of West Virginia. Um, Leon Sullivan, that was responsible for, you know, the uh, Sullivan principles that ended apartheid, came out of West Virginia. Mm. So we've got some heavy hitters that come out of our area. And of course, you all know hidden figures, Catherine Johnson, the mathematician out of West Virginia. So don't sleep on West Virginia. Yeah, no, no, don't sleep we, we on that. With it. You know, we've got, yeah. a, we've got <laughs> been doing this kind of stuff for years. And yeah, no, that history is, I mean, even the, uh, the uh, Niagara movement. You know, from the beginnings of the NOCP, their first stop was obviously over in Canada, but the next stop was actually West Virginia. Um, so the people don't know there's a lot of history there. So with all that being said, what do you work on and how do you show up in this work? Well, you know, um, uh, because I did grow up there, my for first sort of foray into this environmental justice uh, movement actually started because of methyl isocyanate and people mm. commonly know that as MIC. And that was a particular chemical that killed um, thousands of people over in Bhopal, India, people of color across you know, the waters. And so what we did not realize is that there were only two places that this chemical was being made, it was being made in Bhopal, India and in Little O Institute, West Virginia. Wow. And so when we found out about that, um, my father, you know, started an organization called People Concerned About MIC. And I think I, at the time I was probably about 15 years old, um, maybe 14, get, about to turn 15. And, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, we had to when we would you know smell certain things in the community, 
releases or hear sounds, we would always call the chemical companies. And that was just what we did. And so that was sort of my initiation into sort of pushing back against the establishment and doing that type of thing. So um, that's, you know, sort of informed my life going forward. And of course, uh, and I'll age myself again, uh, going to the University of Maryland when I left, you know, the first thing I did was start, you know, helping build shanties and protesting about against apartheid. So um, that's how I sh showed up for that work initially. And really recognizing that, you know, people that are black and brown are often um, on the fence line when it comes to chemical pollutants of every variety and really realizing that we need to sort of uh, reverse that trend. Yeah, speak speak more to that. I mean, speak more to what is the specific challenge you face right now, obviously, in your community. Speak, why is it urgent? And and also, you know, what does it look and feel like, um, you know, when you're dealing with those challenges right now to overcome them? I will tell you, um, it can be stressful at times. Of course, it can be frustrating because, I would say particularly for West Virginia, you have a, sort of a duality and it doesn't really you know, make much sense. You've got on the one hand, you've got a state and you've got leadership that wants to bolster the place as this great you know, mecca for outdoor recreation. Come here, whitewater raft, bungee jump, you know, do all these great adventures. But at the same time, they are beholden to chemical companies, to coal industries that actually deplete the land of its resources and contaminate the waters the airs, um, the land, um, just by their products that they're producing. So, you know, when you're living there and you understand, you know, that this is happening, it, it does, it gets very, very frustrating um, because your, your cries and your activism very often falls on deaf ears. So that's been one of the, the biggest challenges is really trying to shift the narrative. But we have folks that are just, you know, they are in bed with those industries. They're getting kickbacks. Um, you know, they're getting sorts of, you know, all sorts of benefits because of that alignment. But meanwhile, the people are suffering. Um, you know, West Virginia has the poorest health outcomes in the country um, as a direct result of the things that we breathe and we drink. We've had a water crisis as of recent. We've had chemical explosions. We've had, you know, coal mines, you know, implode. And so there's a lot of, you know, immediate catastrophic things that have happened to people. But the long-term effects, the lingering effects, are the things that we have really been trying to highlight and bring attention to. And it's also very difficult because um, while we know that this is the case, we also understand that you know, these entities provide jobs. And when you have an economically um, depressed area such as you know, West Virginia, and it hasn't developed beyond those particular industries, people you know, get very afraid when you're talking about shifting the culture or changing industries and where their job's gonna go. We saw that um, you know, sort of attack against Obama, you know, he's against Cole and Hillary Clinton. But the bottom line is that for our, our country's greater good, for our children's greater good and their children's children, we have to start cleaning up the environment little by little. And that of course deals with carbon emissions and climate justice. But it also includes the environmental, other environmental pieces like those chemicals and coal pollutants, no, just for no. air quality. Yeah, you know, and as, I, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about. I want you to kind of speak to this in this aspect because people who are hearing this, sometimes they come from communities where they don't understand. Obviously, they're not coming from West Virginia, they're not coming from Black Appalachia, uh, they're not coming from our communities where they they just think, well, why don't you just leave? Uh, you know what we know. You know why are you sticking around for that? So, so speak to how complex 
this is in your community conversation when you're sitting around uh, in there in in West Virginia, but also, who do you want to hear this? Yeah, well, I really want the world to hear this. And I will just say that, you know, it's a very interesting experience because I understand, you know, that when folks are having to deal with economic strife, you know, and low wealth and those type of issues, um, it's hard to sort of prioritize things that you hear like methyl isocyanate or ethylene oxide. Those things seem very, um, you know, very heady, very um, vast and, you know, beyond a person's basic sort of comprehension. I mean, they just sound that way. And to read it is almost impossible, you know, for most people. Um, so people are often disconnected from that issue. Um, I am a part of a community panel that is sort mm. of designed to bring the chemical companies and the communities together. And I do believe that they need to do better about making sure that information about what's being manufactured in areas gets into the directly into the hands of people. I don't care if you knock on the doors and give them a flyer or you just have some conversations. It's hard, especially with COVID, it's hard to get people out to town halls. But, um, you know, again, when people are concerned about food, water, clothing, shelter, you know, um, whether their children are going to be able to get to school safely and that type of thing, things that don't seem to have an immediate impact you know, on you are sort of, you know, just placed on the back burner. And so we're really having to kind of push through that and educate folks. Now, before, um, you know, when West, when Institute was sort of like the more, more pop in place and, you know, a booming area, you know, certainly amongst the most educated folks in the, in the state itself, um, because everybody, you know, basically was in that community, had gone to the university or, you know, even from high school, just going right, feeding right into the university or the college at the time. Um, but a lot of that generation has died off. You know, we're at our final, you know, crossroads with that group. We've got one more generation that sort of kind of knows um, what has happened, knew the history of the school, understood the history of the community, and understood how we even got into bondage with chemical pollutants and that type of thing, um, which is another story. Now, I'm happy to share that with you uh, if you want to ask about that. But they know the history. I am going to ask about that, okay? definitely. <laughs> and so they understand that. But the newer generations, again, are not that um, cued in, to be quite honest with you. And certainly, um, you know, I think that now is an opportune time because I think the one thing about, you know, the Black Lives Matters movement is that so many people have rallied around that issue. And you can't really speak about Black Lives Matter without looking at the totality of the life. And that's not just police brutality and that reform uh, movement. But it also has to do with our environmental rights and our ability to live a quality of life and to have good health outcomes in the long term for ourselves and for our children and future generations. Why is it why is it important when you're to be one in community and also I'll add to also be in solidarity? Well, I mean, you know, clearly, you know, you need united voices to actually make a difference. It's very hard for a person to do something in a silo and to be that lone voice. If you recall, like, you know, Horton hears a who, you know, that just one lone voice. And people don't take you seriously, you know, they're just, you know, you might be, you know label, you know, that's the militant chick over there, or that's the, you know, radical dude over there, you know, so you get labeled and you get targeted, people will call you crazy or, you know, just whatever type of, you know, name they can put on you to devalue what you're bringing to the table and to devalue what you're actually talking about, which is very important or to diminish that, that 
that cause. So it is very important that we get folks um, sort of to join forces in terms of this movement to add to the complexity and to the fabric, you know, of of our experiences in that particular town and really across your black towns across um, the state of West Virginia that are similar to ours that are, you know, being put on or being put upon by, um, you know, manufacturers and, um, you know, chemical companies and that type of thing. But, you know, we have to work in solidarity. We cannot do this work alone. You know, there's so much intersectionality, you know, when it comes to our lives and how we fit and move in America in general. And if we don't figure out a way that we can all come together, you know, most of our causes will be lost. And that's, you know, borne out in the legislation that have been passing recently and things that are happening. So, um, you know, people can come together and, and stand up against all sorts of different offenses, um, then we should be able to rally around this particular issue. Because at the end of the day, um, it very often is a matter of life and death. Let me speak on that, actually. As you're talking, folks should know that you are operating and organizing in a community that is at the crossroads, as you are fighting to stop these toxins, stop petrochemicals, stop all these things in your community. It is also clear to me that you are an amazing, powerful voice for justice, but you are also a black uh, woman of color uh, woman um, in West Virginia. So two things, this is I'm listening to you. Do you feel safe? And how do you maintain your your self-care? Oh, yeah, I feel safe. Uh, yeah, I have no no qualms, no issues about that. Um, you know, we are a tight-knit community. Um, you know, it's just that type of thing. Uh, there is no, uh, in my opinion, any kind of safety concern at all. Um, and, and to be honest with you, at the end of the day, um, we are certainly a minority in terms of, of our numbers. And um, so... Unfortunately, I don't think that people really see us as much of a threat. It's more so of a nuisance, um, but that's okay. I, I I want people to take our you know sort of our our um, our, our small grouping to be you know non threatening because that allows us to make more moves and to make more noise and you know to you know work in the background so to speak to galvanize more people and come to really the world right now you know mm -hmm. and trying to enlist some support and that type of thing so you know go ahead and you know they can have those type of thoughts about us but we are here we're not going anywhere at least hopefully um and we're trying to you know engage and and groom you know future leaders around this particular issue but yeah i don't have any concerns of safety at all and you know uh, in those places you know everybody has a gun Every, you know, good, better, and different. You know, I understand, but that's just the reality. So nobody's walking up on no porches. Nobody's gonna say, "Hey, get your hand out my pocket." It ain't gonna be none of that kind of stuff uh, around, <laughs> around, <laughs> around me. That's what I, like. I absolutely love it. <laughs> absolutely. Oh my god, that, that was yeah. that was a phenomenal so that was one part. I forget the other part that you were asking. They don't even know what the other part is. That was that was so good right there. <laughs> I like that. Anybody could put on these porches. <laughs> Ain't nobody. Yeah. I just never asked, no one's ever asked me about a safety issue. I just have never felt that way. Um, you know, but that's just it. I mean, the reality is that they're they're more likely to do um and pass legislation that will be, you know, more harmful than anything that they could do physically. So that's just the yeah. reality, unfortunately. And we try well, let's go back. Well, let's go back to that movie, that, that chemical bondage then, actually. And let's talk about that. Let's talk about how when these companies have a business plan 
that means a death sentence for our communities. How does that kind of bondage take place? Yeah, so this is so interesting. I happened to just by coincidence run into this chemist the other day and we were having a conversation and I asked him if he knew, you know, about some certain chemicals. And ethylene is ethylene oxide is sort of like the chemical du jour. That's like the new new thing that everybody's talking about in emissions. And it's a carcinogen um, and it's being emitted in many places in, you know, um, significant amounts. And Institute happens to be one of those places. And so we're talking about this and uh, trying to make the story short. He disclosed to me that there had just been a, a conference or some kind of celebration, I should say, up in Clendenin, West Virginia, which mm. is probably about mm, maybe about 25 miles, 30 miles away from where I am. Um, predominantly, well, pretty much exclusively, you know, white area. Um, but nonetheless, uh, very rural. So they had the celebration and the celebration was about the establishment of carbide and carbide is one of the union carbide, which is one of the main and one of the first chemical companies um, to take foot in, in the state, in the country, in the uh, United States. And it all started in Clendenin. And what I, he was telling me is that these people had come from New York and all these different places converged upon Clendenin and said, there are all these natural resources and gas under, um, you know, the, in the land of West Virginia, how can we exploit this and where can we go? And they basically came up with a plan, went back to their respective states, did all this work, developed Union Carbide and put it into, in West Virginia. Hmm. Now, at the same time that this was happening, um, or at or around the same time this was happening, or perhaps shortly thereafter, West Virginia, West Virginia then um, Colored Institute, I think it may have changed to West Virginia Collegiate Institute. I'm not sure where it was at that point. When that was happening, they had deeded land beside the university to the government for the war effort and um, the the. Um, production of rubber because rubber was so in such demand for wheels and tires and all that to go overseas. Mm -hmm. So they, they leased the land, I should say, not deeded. They leased the land to um, the government for that purpose. So once the war was over, they decided not to give the land back to the school. What they did was they then sold the grounds to union carbide. And mm -hmm. so you got a HBCU there all these black kids going to school there. Um, it's the only public um, institute, four-year institution in that part of the state at the time. And that's where everybody went. That was that was the school. That was the Mecca. I mean, we were a, a well-established, you know, part of the CIAA. Um, we had teams that were, you know, undefeated in many sports. So it was a, it was a very significant school. And everybody came there to teach um, and everybody came there to learn. And so anyway, they gave this land away. And so the detrimental effects, of course, are going to affect those students. And then the nearby neighborhood, which was pretty much all the black residents that came out of that school, people came there and settled or, you know, taught and lived there. And so it was a very purposeful thing Now we used to have. People don't also realize that West Virginia State had an airfield. It was called Wirtz Airfield. And because of that airfield, we were actually one of the first um, flight programs and we were the uh, predecessor to Tuskegee. They moved that program to Tuskegee to build it there, closed down our airfield, put the chemical companies there. And that was the end of that. So um, since then, 
every, you know, every few years, you know, a, a company will go out and another one will come in. Now we have had some successes. We were able to get Union Carbide to get the heck out of there, but then we got Bayer. Bayer had explosion. We were able to get them out of there, but we still have Dow. We still have all these other little startups. Now we have U.S. Methanol. U.S. Methanol moved there. The owners are from out of the country, as are most of the owners of these, you know, companies. Um, they brought over a, a, a tank and all this equipment from Brazil. We have been defunct. They took it apart, um, barged it to West Virginia, put it back together, and consider us to be in a safe environment. I mean, this thing, mm -hmm. when it came, you could see rust all over it, but you know, they've painted it, made it really pretty and, you know, made it, you know, a shining star for the state. And they feel like, oh, well now we've got 70 more jobs, but what's the value of 70 jobs when you have, you know, uh, thousands of people nearby who at any time can, if that blows up or something happens or there's a serious leak, you know, you can be out of there like that. So it's been, it's been an issue, it's been a challenge. And something that we we're really trying to fight. And one of the things, you know, I've been trying to, you know, push for, and I actually ran for office um, last in 2020, just to sort of kind of advance these issues is I'm trying to get a moratorium. At what point can we just stop the transition of this land? Just let it be a brown land. Let us figure out something else that we can do with it. Can we make cars? Can we make Bayer aspirin? Do we have to make Roundup? Do we have to make these things that are really, you know, harmful? And I feel like there are ways to do that. But again, our state is really just not, um, because they're, if they can't get a kickback, it's no incentive for them. So we really have to either, you know, vote people out and get some other people in, um, or just, you know, trying to work on that legislative piece. Wow. And that's important. Folks, folks who are listening, people need to understand that demonstration, I always say this, demonstration it's critical, but demonstration without legislation leads to frustration. So you gotta it's it's important for us to understand that. What strategy does your work offer to meet the challenges that you are describing? And then I guess and then the other part of that question is, what are you willing to do to win? Oh, listen, um it's 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 a hard, it's a hard fight. I've been fighting it for a long time and to be honest with you, um, as I was saying, alluding to before, it's really about educating this next generation. And I do think that um, it's going to require to be really successful. It's going to require, you know, allies, um, white allies to join this, you know, movement, to be quite frank with you. Um, we can't do it, you know, on our own. And it's unfortunate that's the case, but it just can't. Um, uh, or should they be much more difficult? So we've had some victories. We've won some lawsuits. You know, we've taken people to court over all sorts of issues. We've gotten monies for this. We, you know, um, you know, if there's been explosion and somebody's house rocked and they had a cracked chimney, you know, you could get some, you know, uh, money and damages and that type of thing. So, you know, we've been doing sort of that paper, you know, process with them in terms of of trying to change the culture. And some of them just got tired of being sued and was like, all right, that's it, we're, we're done. Um, we were able to get them to stop making seven, which was a pesticide. Um, so we've had those victories, but again, you know, it, it sort of, you know, needed our allies to sort of work with us um, with regard to that. I think at this point, uh, my belief is that we need to start being much more demonstrative. We mm. need to actually be um, more front and center I certainly have, you know, participated in protests, you know, with labor movement or labor unions about the safety there and their hiring practices there. But to be quite honest with you, we have not yet done anything um, in terms of um, a big outward protest. 
uh, you know, with banners and that type of thing to bring more attention to it. So Pam Nixon, who is um, head of our uh, environmental uh, justice subcommittee with the NAACP, um, you know, been talking to her and talks with her about let's let's try and and take this uh, to them, you know, to their front door and really speak out about this issue. And uh, I'm hoping that we'll get a lot of people to come out and uh, that people, you know, will respond uh, the way that we would like them to. Yeah, but oh, I think that's it. we're gonna have to take it to them. Yeah. So 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 I I can surmise from that that good trouble is on the way. Yes, good trouble is indeed on the wall on the way. And in the meantime, you know, we've been trying to like you know plan virtual conferences to you know equip and engage young people with the information. And really, again, trying to marry, um, you know, white folks seem to resonate a lot with global warming and climate change, and sort of marrying the two issues and letting them know that they're not mutually exclusive. So yes, you know, global warming will make stuff a lot hot hotter, you know, will cause, you know, greater tidal waves, it will cause, you know, all sorts of flooding and different things of that nature. However, at the same time, the same things that are causing that are also adding to um, contaminants in our air, in our breathing capacities, and whether we have higher rates of asthma or not, or whether or not we have bronchitis or COPD, or certain types of cancers, or even have fertility issues and that type of thing. So, I think it's important to sort of um, have a nexus between the two so that this movement can be stronger and more vocal. And so that's one of the things that I'm actually actively working on right now is trying to figure out how we can make this more germane to more people and understand. Because the reality is that, you know, if you are the poor little black town that's by the fence line and folks don't come there unless they're going to school or they're driving through to get to the next city, because um, there's unfortunately not a whole lot to stop there for. You know, quite honestly, we just you know got a couple of traffic lights not too long ago, maybe about a decade ago. So it's a small area. Um, you know, people aren't invested, and if they live you know ten miles or so away and they don't feel like they have they're at risk of anything or any fallout, they're not compelled to get on board. So um, with this ethylene oxide, they're saying that the the um, the span of that I think is about six miles. So that brings in another city um, on either side. But again, a lot of those folks, you know, still have family that work at those plants. And so they're torn between whether or not they want to stop the manufacture of these things and perhaps not have uh, be able to feed their families or whether they die trying to do so. And it also speaks to, you know, your um, I think you said something earlier about, you know, why don't you just leave? And, you know, I will be honest with you, if those chemical companies we're like, hey, we'll buy the whole town out. You know, we'll give everybody, you know, X amount of hundreds of thousands so that you can relocate and so forth. I think the majority of people might even consider that, to be quite honest with you. But we have been there. We've been there since 1891, at least. Um, all black town, pretty much, uh, you know, might be about 15 percent um, white at this point. But um, there are not a whole lot of other racial uh, distinctions um, in terms of demographics there. So, you know, we've been rooted there. We've been rooted there for a long time. But, you know, it does get it does get tiring and it does make you want to, you know, think about leaving. And I was on a conference the other day and they were talking about ethylene oxide and just the cavalier uh, approach that the leadership had and the chemical companies had and even um, our Department of Environmental Protection there in West Virginia had it. Honestly, I was so I was so aggrieved. I was just like, I just feel like packing my bags right now. 
because on the one hand, you know, you want to fight the good fight. But on the other hand, it's like, do you, are you willing to stay here and die to do it? And so that is the question. It does get to the point where, you know, is this something that you can do remotely? Is this something that, you know, you have to stay here boots on the ground? And I've been there for, you know, quite some time, um, you know, but it just really made me think, you know, I'd just gone for a gynecological, you know, appointment, you know, they're checking for, you know, cervical cancer. And I was like, damn, what if it comes back to my language? <laughs> you know, what if it comes back and that's the case? And maybe it's, you know, related to the fact that I've been here for this period of time now, um, you know, which has only been since about 2014, I moved back to kind of take care of my dad who had cancer. I'm like, what if that, you know, what if I got that diagnosis? I was like, is it is it worth, you know, continuing to do the work? So I say yes, but at the same time, you know, I'm working hard and feverishly to try and get an end to this nightmare so that, you know, people can have a productive life. I can have a productive life and not have to sort of always be worrying about that, always looking behind my back or around the corner for some kind of illness or disease to jump on me because I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to fight the good fight. So we need as many people um, in this issue to sort of resolve resolve these complex, you know, um, you know, issues and circumstances that uh, black and brown people are dealing with all around the country. Um, and it's sad. It's unfortunate, you know, but, you know, it's a challenge. I'm up for it. But I have to be honest with you, at a certain point, you do have to start thinking, you know, looking at it like, is there going to be any there there? And so it makes you want to move quicker. I asked you this question earlier about about if you feel safe and you definitely made it clear that anybody anybody run, run up on that porch. <laughs> um, you made that very clear. Let me ask you this other question though, because about as you were talking, and you know, I am originally from Louisiana, and there's a part of Louisiana that is called Cancer Alley. And I was talking with Dr. Uh, Beverly Wright, who was diagnosed with cancer. And there's many people not we have we have cancer ministries, literally in Louisiana because there's so it's so many people who get cancer. And as you're talking about it, and definitely, you know, obviously sorry to hear about your father who passed because of cancer, but it's a part of our community, right? And we we are dying. And we talked we talked earlier about those in the environmental movement, and you know, they sometimes have a a far off forecast twenty thirty twenty fifty. But we've been dying, right? This ain't no. We're not waiting to twenty thirty to start dying. So, I guess for me, my question was about really about safety. But do you feel supported? And what what would you being supported in this fight look like? Um, to be quite honest with you, no, I don't feel particularly supported. Um, I don't think our community feels particularly supported. Um, yeah, at all. And part of it is because we are so small and we are tiny. Um, um, you know, we just feel very marginalized. I think I, I think I feel I can speak for the community in that regard. Um, and very overlooked and just put on the periphery. And so, um, that's an unfortunate thing. Um, but it's a very real thing. And, uh, Pam, you know, there are a few. And pretty much we're all sisters that are in this movement and, you know, working on this issue. And, uh, you know, so even, you know, being black women and working in that kind of isolation, it's tough because sometimes we don't even have the support of the brothers because, again, you know, some of them are working down at the plant. 
mm-hmm. and working at some of these places. And so it's it's push pull. It is push pull. Um, I believe that, you know, what I would like to see, and I think how people can support us is to start talking about it, to, you know, speaking, if you're, even if you are in an area where this is necessarily happening, you know, to have that as a part of a conversation, did you know this was happening in West Virginia? Um, Come join us, you know, when we have a rally or you want to help put one together or what have you, please come out and do that. If you want to knock on doors, um, you know, call and write letters to the companies, that type of thing. If we want to, you know, do some types of, of boycotts and that type of thing. I think all those things are things that can help. Um, but we do need uh, more voices. We need more people in this movement to, you know, really organize it and, and be a stronger force, to be quite frank with you. Um, mm. That's just my take. Mm. So you talked about safety. You talked about support. At the last one, one, one of the last questions I have for you was, in regards to the, the other S, which is success. What does success look like and feel like? And 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 what's your hope um, and courage as you keep going to achieve that success? Success for me looks like legislation that says these lands will no longer be earmarked for this type of product, you know, production. Um, you know, chemical production, that would be a success for me. Um, you know, that they would have some type of plan to, you know, have some type of alternative, alternate use for that property, um, or just to leave it alone, to, you know, simply leave it alone. I'm just tired of, you know, seeing those fumes and mercury clouds and things of that, you know, going off in the valley. Um, and they're just being a, tr- a true, a true commitment to a beautiful state. And this is going to be the state of tourism. Let's really make it a, a state of tourism, and let's sort of rid ourselves of these, um, uh, you know, chemical companies and coal processing plants and that type of thing. Um, let's try and move into green spaces. So that would be helpful. I think you know any kind of legislation, whether it's around you know um, green economies and moratorium on the lands, that's a success for me. Mm. So I just have two more questions, and one is actually for you for a soapbox. I'm gonna, I want to give you the mic to just really say whatever you want to say to the people. We got a we got a we got a pretty good sized audience here um, who who tunes in to this conversation. So um, one is say whatever you want to say. Uh, this if if I missed anything, um, you think is important, but also in that this is the first part of that question. How can people not only keep up with your work? How can they support you and how can they take action? Oh, goodness gracious. I'm trying to think, is there anything that I haven't said? I mean, I sort of kind of felt like, you know, I've tried to convey as much as I can in terms of sort of the historical aspect and how we came to be where we are. Um, uh, And really, I think it's just about getting to, you know, getting to where we need to be and how we can help folks um, all around the country. But for our, you know, particular, you know, cause, you know, people can contact me. Um, I'll give a I'll give a telephone number and an email, and you can feel free to reach out and you know connect with me. Um, you know, for some creative solutions and some uh, ways to sort of uh, advance this work. That's ideal for me. But really, I think it's just about trying to get the word out. You know, I would love to speak to more audiences. If other people have podcasts, if other people have, you know, newspapers and that type of thing, because, you know, getting this word out, I think it's very, it's very critical to the movement and letting folks know that there is an issue. Um, you know, certainly, again, our legislation, our legislators, 
have had a lot of issues. Y'all can call Joe Manchin. Y'all can call Joe Manchin. Y'all can call Joe Manchin. I know y'all been calling them for the Poor the People Act and all these other issues that are very important. But, you know, we've got to get him on board when it comes to uh, to these type of issues, to environmental justice and really staying up and even your own legislators, you know, staying up in their faces about this thing. Because at the end of the day, you know, this is happening here, but it could happen anywhere at any time. All it takes is for somebody to write some legislation or a city, a municipality to change zoning in a law in an area. And you may have something crop up in your backyard. So, you know, we've got to figure out how to um you know insulate ourselves from these type of things and so yeah those those are uh sort of my last words you know this is very real it's something that folks have been dealing with for quite some time it's certainly unfair it's unjust and we need as much attention to this in terms of the black lives matter movement um as any other portion of that because this is really about those black and brown bodies it's just a different um a different uh, sort of enemy in this particular case. I know that's right. Give, give the website or email or numbers. Give give that now. Well, um, you can contact me via uh, this is uh, K F E R D A T A K for data at yahoo.com. This is my personal uh, personal thing. People concerned about it was people concerned about MIC and then it changed to people concerned about chemical safety, but that I was a part of, but the, uh, the operating entity of that, they disbanded. I think they're coming back, but I, so I don't have an email for them directly right now for that entity. So you can just do it directly to k4data at yahoo.com. Um, you can also um, contact me at 304-926-9491. That's my direct line. Uh, feel free to call and you can text, you can leave a message and I'll get back with you around that. Um, but in the meantime, um, you can also go to uh, Our Future West Virginia. It's another uh, subsidiary, and they're starting an environmental justice component as well. So NAACP, they've got an environmental justice uh, subcommittee. You can contact Pam Nixon at that. So um, if this is uh, being recorded, I'll make sure that you have that stuff that you can put um, into the... Yeah, no, we're going to put all those links and everything so everybody listening can can get to and I'm and I'm gonna try to make it out there. Listen, I, I'm gonna tell you this, Kathy. I'm gonna try to get out there to West Virginia when y'all has something and whatever. And, and I'm so I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to line it up so we can we can be out there. You can give me my little sign. And I can do what we gotta do. Get a little good trouble. I, I like good trouble, now, Kathy. You know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> oh yeah, no. Well, we, we got lots of me's around too. So we got we 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 gonna. So, so this is my last question. Since, 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 since we're gonna come out there and do that rally, I need to, I need to know what's gonna be on the playlist. So then, now, now we go into the culture standpoint. So now you get to, you get to pick five songs or artists if you don't want to pick the songs. Five songs or artists if you just want to this. That's gonna be in our good trouble playlist. So what's gonna be when we, when we, while we waiting to rally, then what's gonna be going through the boombox there? So there you go. You get to pick them. Oh, definitely gonna have Nas, and that's okay. gonna be whose world is this? I think I could all be all Nas to be honest with you, but yeah, <laughs> whose world is this? Um, <laughs> I have I have a a person in the room who's absolutely going crazy because um, she's a hip hop head too. She's trying to tell me what to say. I'm like, <laughs> um, that's one. Dag, I have a serious list and I cannot even think of what I want. I can't believe I've drawn a blank. He caught me. 
Um, well, you can put LL. Well, LL doesn't really. Uh, we got now. Nah, not LL. I love him though. I, I'm going. I'm going for some real resistance stuff here. Come on now. Yeah, I'm with you on that thought. one. Like, I'm gonna have to get some roots, black thought in there. Oh, I like that. Um, yeah, we had some public enemy. Definitely gotta have public enemy. Um, bad. Who else? I think you you stumped me. I can't even believe it. I'm telling you, I could rattle this off all day long. When <laughs> you caught me, you caught me. Um, so let me see. I've got three artists. I can get two more. Let me think. Who I'm gonna do? Um, Talib Puli. Mm-hmm. And uh, dang, I'm going to throw a, one from the far left. I'm going to throw in Yo Yo. Oh, I like oh, I'm with Don't that. Don't try and play me out. Don't try and yeah, play me out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I like, I like that. I, I, I might have went rage. You know um, what I mean? Oh, yeah. I love me some rage. I do love me some yeah, rage. Yeah. You know, the Afro um, Puffs. But definitely Yo Yo is a good, Yo Yo is a great. It's a great thing. <laughs> she don't get her. She don't get the credit she deserves. She don't get no, she credit. don't. No, she don't. Yes, you're right. She definitely don't get. She really credit. doesn't. But listen, I love them all. You know, I and I could pick all sorts of people, but yeah, that's what I'm gonna go with. So definitely, no. When 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 we when, when we have our little good trouble rally, the playlist gonna be gonna be super tight. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. So. Oh, I know so. Yeah, Miss Kathy Ferguson. I'm excited. Thank you so much for what you're doing and being a part of this conversation and um, all power to the people. Yeah, definitely that. Definitely that. I appreciate being here and hopefully I'll see it's going to be in the spring. We're going to make this happen. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. And y'all come through. Everybody come through. Y'all ain't been to West Virginia. Just come on through. It's something you got to try it at least once. Yeah, comes through. I, I've been there. I've been I, I, I love it. I love it. I, I tell you. And you got to have come that little John Brown spirit. You got to come with, and, and everybody else who's come through there, we got to bring all that energy. Yeah. Nah. Well, now, we you're, got gonna, you. you're not going to find a whole lot. I'm going to just tell you that right now. There's not a whole lot to do, but just, you know, if you want to just come and just chill and have some downtime, it's a, it's a place that you can definitely do that. But we'll get in some good trouble and then we're just going to chill. Yeah. That's Kathy Ferguson with us right here on The Coolest Show. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100% which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all pop.